Greetings and hello to everyone. This is the Business of Betting podcast and I'm your host, Jake Williams. Today is episode 14 and we have founder and CEO of BitEdge, James Canning, joining the podcast. BitEdge is a leading source of Bitcoin sports betting information. James has a simple mission and that is to provide useful resources to the Bitcoin betting public. BitEdge is a great website and resource for those looking for further details and information about the possibilities in the cryptocurrency and betting world. As always, you can find us at businessofbetting.com or at bettingpod on Twitter. Please fire in any questions or feedback and potential guests you would like to hear from. So thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy my chat with James Canning. Today, I'm joined by James Canning, the CEO of BitEdge. James, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, Thanks for having me, Jake. I really like the podcast and I'm happy to chat with you. So, James, let's start by digging into your background a little bit. You're obviously the CEO of BitEdge, but before you got there and and maybe do you want to just discuss your path to getting to where you are today and and some of your background uh, as it relates to the business of betting? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, I can't explain why, but... A few months before the FIFA World Cup back in 2008, I was just uh, getting excited about the tournament and I thought I'd have a look to see what the odds are. And I just, I can't explain why, but I really felt like getting a punt on. I was only about 20 years old at the time and I'd never really bet before. But uh, I just thought, I think, you know, it was in Germany. I thought Germany have a good chance to win or Argentina's looking good. So I just put a couple of bets on. Um, completely casually, and uh, I got a, one of the bets I put on to win was uh, Italy, and they got up and won. And I've never looked back. I've just loved betting on sports since then, and working in the gambling industry. So I did it. Um, I just kept betting and uh, got more and more serious with it. Ended up betting uh, full time, and then when I uh, got married and wanted to settle down and have a real job. Uh, I went to work for the sports books. Um, I worked for it first at uh, sportsbook.com, which was a US facing sports book based in Costa Rica. And then when we wanted to come back to Australia, uh, I worked at uh, Betfair at the Hobart office. Um, while I was working at Betfair, uh, I was still betting seriously, and, and people uh, knew that, and people would come to me and ask me questions about sports betting in general, and when I would uh, talk to customers, I was always taking their questions about using Betfair, and I just thought, uh, I keep answering the same questions over and over again, so I, what I did, I decided to write down the most common questions I was getting and the answers, and just write down, I guess, what I thought was the most important things people needed to know uh, to be able to make a profit uh, betting on sports. And then as I, as I was in the middle of doing that, I thought, well, I should, I should put these up on a website somewhere. So I put them up on a, on a website, and that's just evolved into um, my, my current project, BitEdge. So after I had the website running for a while, um, I discovered Bitcoin, and it completely changed the way I bet and or changed my uh, thinking about money and a lot of things. So I... Uh, changed my website to be not just 
not just about sports betting in general, but particularly about sports betting with Bitcoin. So that's what's uh, led me to, to BitEdge.com. It's the leading source of information about Bitcoin gambling and about, about sports betting in particular. So how did you grow your knowledge base when it comes to, to Bitcoin and, and I'm sure other other fiat currencies and using that, I guess, to produce information for the general public? Were you Did you have some sort of education or background uh, in that area or, or did it just develop over time? I was uh, living in Thailand with a, a bunch of uh, online poker professionals this is at a time when I was a professional sports better. And it was a big problem for us was getting our money onto the websites and off the websites and in our home bank accounts or in our hands in Thailand. Uh, we were getting big delays, big fees. Sometimes the, uh, you know, our accounts would get shut down because we were transacting in different co- countries. And it was just a big uh, pain point in our lives was dealing with this government currency. So, uh, a lot of my friends who are professional poker players, they, they started playing with Bitcoin and they're saying, this is great. You, you can just uh, sign up to a site, put your money on straight away, get your money off straight away. Uh, there's no friction. It's just so easy to, to use Bitcoin. So, I mean, the first time I heard about Bitcoin, I thought it sounded like some scam. I thought it was just a way for <laughs> whoever created it to, to get rich. So uh, I kind of ignored it. And then, some of my friends were using it and they liked it. And these were my smartest friends, actually, <laughs> and my most wealthy friends, too. And I, they told me I should look into it. I looked into it again and I thought, it's kind of like World of Warcraft gold, like just some fake money. Maybe you can, maybe they have fun playing with it, uh, whatever. And then the, the third, it wasn't until like the third or fourth time I looked into it that I actually had my aha moment. And, you know, the light bulb went off above my head. What made me actually understand how important Bitcoin was, was understanding how government currency works. So when I basically when I worked out how and why inflation happens, that it's not just a natural thing that happens always, it actually happens uh, for a reason and, and affects me, then I, I started to appreciate the, the Bitcoin alternative with no inflation. And yeah, since I was living overseas and trying to do all these cross-border transactions, um, Bitcoin just made my life so much easier. So yeah, I just got to like it and then I got to really fall in love with the community in general and I started, you know, always hanging out with other Bitcoiners online and going to Bitcoin meetups and just got deeper and deeper into it until I, I realized that this was what I wanted to be in and I, you know, I put all my savings in Bitcoin and I've made all my income in Bitcoin and for about four years now I've been almost 100% uh, Bitcoin. Okay, so before we lose all of our non-Bitcoin fans, let's just touch on some of the basics of, of Bitcoin. And when we say Bitcoin, uh, certainly when I say Bitcoin, I won't speak for you. I mean any of the cryptocurrencies that you hear about, Ethereum and some of the other ones out there. Um, but I think just for keeping it simple for someone like myself, who's certainly no expert in, in cryptocurrency or the blockchain or anything like that, uh, when I say Bitcoin, I mean any of those, you know, different currencies that you've heard about, probably more widespread and mainstream now. But um, let's just touch on four or five of the basic buzzwords just for background. I want to keep it as betting related as possible and get to the markets and, and some of the predictions you've had in the past and, and talk about that a little bit deeper. But before we go, do you want to start with the blockchain? 
Uh, yeah, I'll start even more um, basic. So Bitcoin is a currency like the US dollar or the Australian dollar. The difference is those currencies are run by governments and Bitcoin is not run by government. It's run by people running software. So it's run, Bitcoin is run by the Bitcoin network and it's, a, it's an online currency. So the main difference is uh, there's a limited amount of Bitcoin, whereas with uh, the US dollar, there's essentially an unlimited amount. The government can make as many dollars as they want. Um, banks can make dollars. Anyone uh, or a lot of people can, can make uh, new dollars, and that's what causes inflation. But uh, with Bitcoin, there's a limited supply, so there will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins. So it's more like a, like a precious metal, like gold or like a commodity, in that there's, there's a limited supply. And the other big differentiator is that to use Bitcoin, you don't need any third parties. Like for me to send money to you, we don't need a bank, we don't need a company, we don't need anybody's permission. It's just direct peer-to-peer. Uh, -peer. So a lot of your listeners will be familiar with um, – with uh, BitTorrent, so uh, Bitcoin is a bit like BitTorrent, uh, but for money, and it makes uh, it makes sending and receiving money just as easy as sending and receiving an email. Um, blockchain, that is actually a little technical. Blockchain is the the way that Bitcoin keeps track of all the transactions. So you can send and receive money online. Money is digital. Now, the problem with most digital things like, say, an MP3 or a digital photograph is that they can be reproduced. If you have a digital photo on your computer, you can make 100 copies of it. Now, with, uh, with Bitcoin, we had to have a way to prevent that, and we use cryptography and we use the blockchain, and that's, I think, more than – it's not related to gambling, so it might be more than what you want to get into uh, here. But blockchain – allows a record of all Bitcoin transactions, which is impossible to change. So it's, a, it's an immutable ledger. Whereas with a government currency, your bank keeps a ledger of how much money you have, how much money its other customers have. And with Bitcoin, the ledger is the blockchain. And everyone has a copy of the ledger. So everyone can see uh, how much Bitcoin is held in each address. But they can't see who owns that address. So... A few people I've been speaking to recently will say, well, the US dollar is backed by gold, so therefore there's something behind it. And they say that's why Bitcoin will never work. I don't think they necessarily understand it completely, and not that I do, but do you want to just quickly run through why Bitcoin doesn't need to be backed by a precious metal or another commodity? Yeah, well, that, the idea that um, the US dollar is, is backed by gold is wrong on so many levels. Um, the most obvious one, of course, is that the US dollar is not backed uh, by gold. It hasn't had any relationship to gold since the 1970s. And even before then, it was a very tenuous uh, relationship to gold. Um, so the US dollar is, is uh, backed by nothing, um, certainly nothing uh, physical or no other uh, asset. Uh, but actually, that's not a problem. Current money doesn't need to be backed by something else. Money is actually a way for us to keep track of our purchasing power and our debts. Uh, money is a ledger. Uh, it's, it's not actually supposed to be uh, valuable in itself. Money represents value. So money is uh, an abstraction layer <laughs> as the kind of uh, technical uh, or term. Money is an, an abstraction layer that sits on top of value. 
So the value is your work, your goods, and money is the way we keep track of uh, how much purchasing power we have and how much debt we have. So the US dollar is, or government currencies are not backed by anything, um, but that's not actually the, the problem with them. Uh, money doesn't, doesn't actually need to be uh, backed by anything. So you, you, know, you could say the US dollar is backed by um, the US military. It's backed by the fact that people have to pay their taxes in US dollar. So that gives it a guaranteed demand. Um, you could say it's backed by the full uh, faith of the Federal Reserve Bank, things like that. Um, and with, with Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin gets its value from being useful and being scarce. So it has a limited supply, so it's scarce and it, it's very useful. That's where, it, that's where the value uh, in Bitcoin comes from. So let's get into some of the fun betting-related stuff and on the business side like we, we usually talk about. So in July... 2014, so three years ago, essentially, you had some predictions uh, about the growth of Bitcoin and it was predicated on the gambling and the betting side. Essentially, and I don't want to paraphrase you, but I will, you you claim that Bitcoin uh, could take up to 5% of the estimated $3 trillion worldwide gambling market. Uh, so in 2013, uh, that was about $24 billion, and your prediction was that you know, in the next four years, it would get up to 150 billion. So we're three years into that four years. Uh, essentially, that's an estimation that the price of Bitcoin would go from around 600 to 4,000. Um, we've seen it basically hover around 26, 27, 2800 dollars uh, recently. So what's happened in those three years? And it seems as though your estimations are looking very, very correct. Uh, can you just take us through? the last three years and how that's evolved to take up some of that gambling market? Yeah, great. We should probably say that was in um, US dollar figures. Um, so I had a, had a blog post about that uh, called Bitcoin is the Future of Gambling, where I, I laid out that um, prediction. And yeah, at the moment, it's, it's on track. Uh, in terms of, some of the indicators of that prediction are, are on track. Um, so what's happening? So... Bitcoin is getting uh, very popular for, for online gambling, um, and that's because gambling with government currency can be such a pain. I mean, you're, you're in, uh, well, a lot of our listeners are in Australia, which is a gambling-friendly jurisdiction, and they, they think it's pretty easy to, to get a bet on online. Um, but if you're in China or if you're in India or if you're in the United States or if you're in Iran or Russia, or a lot of places, it's very difficult to actually get a bet online with um, government currency. Sometimes it's against the law, which means uh, a lot of sites won't won't accept your your account. Um, even if you find somewhere that will, you have to hand over all your identifying information. You have to use a credit card and all that all the uh, things you give over to the let's say the sports book if it's an online sports book. Um, that they can that can all be used or misused in the future. So, but with Bitcoin, it's just really fast and easy. Uh, you can just sign up for an account with just a username and password. You don't need to put in any of your personal information, and then you can deposit Bitcoin, bet with it, withdraw it, uh, just instantly. So that's why Bitcoin is so popular for for online gambling. It's because gambling with government currency is so high friction. But Bitcoin removes all the friction, so Bitcoin is getting more. It's getting um, a lot more popular in 
in everything, in just in general, in general, in society for, for everything. But it's getting mostly popular in the things which are difficult with government currency, like cross-border transactions, like gambling, like buying drugs, uh, anything which is difficult in, uh, in government currency. Let's talk about House Edge. For those who have bet into any totalizer pools, and obviously in Australia, the largest one is the TAB, uh, with the edge around 15% or something like that, which the the operator takes out. Uh, slot machines, which you'll see in a lot of casinos or poker machines as we know them in Australia, seem to be around or hover around 10% edge. Then you've got other casino games, whether it's blackjack and depending on the player, um, the games are essentially a 3 4% edge, something like that, depending on the actual rules of that game. With Bitcoin, you can get down to as low as you know 1% or 2% edge, and it's not a... It's not a myth. There's actually been situations and games uh, and options for punters and bettors to be able to bet with as low as 1% one percent edge, and it may even be lower. I'm not 100% sure on that. But because of all the positive aspects of, of cryptocurrencies and the way, and a lot of the low transaction costs or the, the barriers to entry, those types of things are removed with Bitcoin. You can get such low edge. Can you talk about how it is that Bitcoin can get to such a low amount compared to the other house edges that are involved in, I guess, uh, everyday gambling and, I guess, the widespread gambling that we're all uh, able to access to a certain extent, depending on the jurisdiction? Uh, Certainly. So, yeah, the standard kind of Bitcoin gambling site, the standard edge is about 1%, 1% house edge, which is much lower than, than government currency gambling options. And the reason is uh, Bitcoin has so many advantages uh, for both the gambler but also for the site operator. So the site operator um, loses most of their uh, their banking and transaction fees. The government currency sites have to have to pay. And the thing about keeping users anonymous that's better for the user and it's better for the operator. The operator doesn't have to do all that um, you know KYC stuff which just causes um, fraud and identity theft. It doesn't help anyone. Um, it actually causes more crime than it, uh, than it prevents because it, because it makes identity theft uh, more of a thing. Um, so they don't have to do all that and uh, they may or may not choose to, to uh, get a license and pay taxes so it, or pay those extra gambling taxes. So it, it removes a lot of the costs and it makes... Uh, it makes them able to run much more efficiently and it makes the, uh, I'd say the relationship between the gambler and the uh, operator is just that direct peer-to-peer relationship without anyone else in between, without a bank, without a government uh, getting in the way. So that's that's why they're able to, to offer a 1% house edge and it's it just keeps going lower and lower. Uh, one of the, the first big Bitcoin gambling site was uh, Satoshi Dice that had a 1.9% edge. Now we're down to a 1% edge, and it's inevitable we're heading towards um, 0% house edge gambling. Uh, we, we, Bitcoin will allow for 0% house edge gambling uh, within the next, say, within the next few years. So I understand why that's not a problem for dice games and casino-style games, but what about for sports betting, for example? Is it feasible that it can get to as low as or as close to 0% edge for something whereby you can have smart operators, professional sports bettors who can win over time uh, and it's not a purely math situation, do you think? Or is it 
more focusing on the casino style games and the you know flipping of coin style uh, betting. Uh, yeah, you're right to to differentiate the different types of gambling um, as they uh, apply to the house edge. So with um, Bitcoin, it, it, it already is down to two percent house edge for sports betting in the case of a betting exchange. And yes, it will get down to to like zero house edge or or uh, almost zero house edge in the case of betting exchanges and totalizers. That kind of model. The, the fixed odds model, like what most uh, corporate bookmakers run, like what you see on, on Pinnacle or, or Bet365, uh, that has a higher edge than, than say, a betting exchange or a totalizer could have uh, in the Bitcoin space. So uh, we will see, um, we, we won't see 0% house edge as quickly in those products. So 0% edge implies that you'll break even over time. If you bet on a flip of a coin, you know, a hundred million times, chances are you're going to break even just based on the mathematics, especially if you get up to large sample sizes. What's the benefit of getting it down to 0% house edge? What ways will the operator be able to make money, especially because it sounds like if it becomes widespread and scalable, you'll just have more and more operators popping up, um, offering different promotions, offering perhaps even you know a little bit less than a 0% house edge just to get people playing there. What are the benefits of getting such a low edge for those operators? The benefit for the operator is to attract more users. So uh, you're right that um, in a 0% house edge paradigm, on average, everybody's breaking even. Um, there's a lot of ways that um, uh, an operator or a gambling website can, can monetize uh, while offering a 0% house edge. Uh, for example, with a 0% house edge on blackjack, you still make money because the 0% zero, the zero house edge calculation uh, assumes optimal play by the player. So anytime the, the player does anything other than optimal play, uh, you again have an edge in the house's favor. Now, if you wanted to offer a 0% house edge blackjack game that took that into account, you, you could and you could add a jackpot, which would... Uh, whatever edge you get by players' mistakes goes into the jackpot. Uh, but uh, just a simple 0% house edge blackjack game, the site would still make money because of uh, suboptimal play by the players. Uh, yeah, but if you can offer a, zero, a good 0% house edge product, you'll have so many users. Uh, there's a lot of ways to, to monetize a user base of that size. You can do simple display advertising. You can have uh, premium accounts with extra features. You can uh, cross-sell other products to the users. You can sell the data if you have the user's permission. Um, you can uh, invest the de players' deposits and earn interest on players' deposits. I mean, we already have uh, uh, gaming companies, uh, like social gaming companies like Zinger. They used to have that free poker and you know free slot companies that are very profitable and they don't make any money on the games themselves. These are just, you know, online uh, fun gaming companies. They make money without actually making money from the games, from those other kind of things uh, that I mentioned. Yeah, so essentially they're using typical, I guess, digital media, digital media uh, website strategies to make money, whether it comes to banner ads and display, display and video ads and, and subscriptions and things like that. It's It's just using those other tools and mechanisms to make money whilst having a a product that is not necessarily, you know, traditional digital media. It's a, it's a betting and a wagering product. So when, 
when you talk about suboptimal play, are you talking about, you know, Martingale theories where, you know, someone keeps doubling their bet because they, you know, want to win and want to win big and eventually they're going to lose and, and the, the house will collect that money? Uh, let me just expand on um, your follow-up to my last answer. It's, yeah, the things I mentioned are just typical um, online ways that businesses make money. I mean, uh, Gmail doesn't, Google doesn't charge anyone for their search engine or Google doesn't charge anyone uh, for their email service. Uh, Facebook doesn't charge anyone. They don't make any money off, off that core offering. They, they make money by getting lots of users and, and make money around around the users. And the other thing is people, uh, the other reason people would offer 0% house edge gambling even without making money is what in uh, in venture capital is called a land grab. You you run your business at a loss during the period where you're just trying, trying to grow the user base. So you do uh, what in, in startups is called a, a land grab. You run it at, at a loss for however long. And another reason is just because you want to change the world and change society. So you, you offer 0% house edge gambling just for the just for the to kind, of, to kind of stick it to the man or for the love of it. And that's being done uh, with one project called um, Edgeless, edgeless.io. That's a 0% house edge gambling product, which is, which is doing that. Um, because uh, with 0% house edge, uh, it can actually change gambling's place in society. Like the reason um, gambling is often, you know, kept in the shadows or gambling is heavily regulated or even illegal or kind of looked down upon as, as a vice is because most people lose money when they gamble. So in a 0% house edge paradigm, uh, most people break even. On average, everyone breaks even. So it can actually really change gambling's place in society. It would uh, take away government's justification for limiting people's gambling, things like that. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and now yeah, your question uh, clarifying uh, the the how the house makes money in blackjack with a zero percent house edge. Uh, what I mean is uh, blackjack is a game where the player has to make decisions, which is either to hit or to stand or to double or to take insurance. And when you calculate your zero percent house edge, you have to assume that the player always makes the optimal decision. Uh, but in real life, the player is sometimes going to make a suboptimal decision, and that's where a house edge gets reintroduced. Yeah, that no, that makes sense. I, I understand. Can you take us through Satoshi Dice? Um, it's obviously one of the you know big names when it comes to uh, to Bitcoin and, and and gambling. Do you want to just go roughly? Oh, sorry, run through that product and and why it was so successful. Great. So just I guess to clarify for your listeners, I wouldn't say Satoshi Dice is a big name in Bitcoin gambling in two thousand seventeen. It was a very big name. It was it was the first name in Bitcoin gambling, or the only name in Bitcoin gambling, in 2012, 2013. Um, it's not not so much anymore. So the reason Satoshi Dice uh, is important is because it's, it was a new model for offering online gambling, where you didn't have to create an account and you didn't have to make a deposit with the operator. So in Satoshi Dice. Every bet was actually a Bitcoin transaction, so every bet was on the blockchain. So there was no need to actually have a deposit with Satoshi Dice. There was no need to have an account with Satoshi Dice. Uh, to, to give the basics, um, Dice is a simple gambling game where you're going to uh, 
roll a dice where you get you get a value between zero and one hundred, and you can bet on what you're going to roll. So you can say, I bet I'm going to roll over fifty, and if you roll over fifty, you win. If you roll under fifty, you lose. And in Satoshi Dice, uh, the way you put your stake up was by sending a Bitcoin transaction to Satoshi Dice, and then if you won, they would send the Bitcoin and another Bitcoin transaction back to you. So uh, it was very, very popular. It was it, at one time it was about fifty percent of the Bitcoin network. About fifty percent of Bitcoin transactions were just for gambling back in uh, in two thousand twelve and early two thousand and thirteen. Wow. So the, the reason it was important was uh, reason it is it is important is because it it created a new model where you don't have to have an account with the site. You don't have to have a deposit with their site, which means you're never trusting the site with your money. So the site can't run away with your money. The site can't uh, do it. The site can't do anything bad. All they could, the most they could do, would be to, I guess, rip you off on one single bet. Um, and yeah, Satoshi Dice was also uh, provably fair, which is another topic. I'm not sure if you are interested in it, but <laughs> provably fair is just a way to to use cryptography uh, to prove to the player that the game is not rigged. So I'm sure people who follow poker and are aware of what happened on Black Friday, I don't know if it's a correlate or anything like that, but the provably fair concept takes that possibility away. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. How provably fair works is you can check how the how the random number was generated. So in the, in the case of um, poker, you can check how the random card was was made to be random. So it stops uh, operators from from being able to decide the outcome of a game, or stops operators from knowing the outcome before the fact. And actually, it can be done with government currency uh, operators. It doesn't actually use Bitcoin. It uses kind of some kind of uh, I would say Bitcoin values and Bitcoin logic in the way it uses cryptography. But it doesn't actually rely on on Bitcoin. It's just something that was invented by um, by Bitcoin uh, gambling operators. Um, the the point about um, Black Friday, uh, if you didn't have to have an account with the operator, then that would have uh, been a, made a big difference to that uh, kind of situation where people had had their money locked up in an account. So, if I wanted to invest in a on the I guess let's call it the bookmaking side or on the operator side, unless it's there's an IPO and you want to buy stock in a in a you know a, a bookmaking company, you can't necessarily do that very easily. Whereas we've seen examples with Just Dice uh, in the the Bitcoin gambling world, where you can essentially be investing on the operator or the bookmaker side. Do you want to take us through that and and any successes that have come from that? Yeah, that's a great question. Just Dice was a very uh, important Bitcoin gambling site because it introduced a new a new model where you could invest in the house bank. So uh, generally speaking, the way an online gambling site works is that you have your, you make your bet and the site has the house bank and pays out from the house bank. And the, the site generally provides the house bank itself. On Just Dice, instead of the site providing the house bank, anyone could uh, make an account at Just Dice and uh, put money into the house bank. And then the, you would receive a share of the site profit proportional to the amount of the house bank that you contributed. So when you've got money in the house bank, 
you've got the those players on the site are actually betting against you. So you, you could, on just as you could play normally, you could be a normal user and play dice at a at a one percent house edge. And when you when you maybe when you finish playing, uh, you could move your money into the house bank, and other people would be betting into you. So it really um, changed the paradigm because, like like you said, it's being on the right side of a casino is completely out of reach to most people. Uh, you mentioned like the most obvious way for an Australian might be to, to buy shares in, in Crown, but like most people in the world can't even do that. But with Just Dice, anybody could, could be on the right side of a gambling operation and have the edge in their favour. So to be in the Just Dice house bank, it was completely passive. You just put your money in there and then other people would bet against the house bank. So you, you didn't have to actively do anything. It was just uh, an investment, and it was a brilliant investment. It made uh, about uh, return more than 20% per year, and that was denominated in Bitcoin, and generally the, the price of Bitcoin has been, been going up. So if, if it was denominated in government currency, it would have been even more than uh, 20% per year. How popular and successful was it? Was it only sort of known and, and useful for those who were – in the Bitcoin community and world and, and understood what was happening and were happy to put their, I guess, their, their Bitcoin behind it and, and trusted the, the protocols and, and those type of things? Or was it, did it catch on in the mainstream at all? I know it was too early to, to go into the mainstream. It was popular back in 2013 and it was an end-to-end Bitcoin site. So it was only used uh, by Bitcoiners and people in the Bitcoin community. But within the Bitcoin community, it was uh, very popular and very successful. They had, I think by the end, they had something like $30 million worth of Bitcoin in the house bank. So take us through the sign-up process for something like that. We all know what it takes. And I, if you live in the US and you probably think, I wonder how hard it is to sign up. Imagine you just moved to the US and you want to buy, or you want to, sorry, start a bank account or a credit card. You got to take in your passport, your latest electricity bill, maybe your lease, um, maybe one or two other forms of identica- identification, driver's license or something. You go in, you fill out some forms, you show them all your documents, and then you get something maybe two or three days later. In Australia, to sign up for a bookmaking account, it's, it used to be more difficult than it is now. There's some ways to do it through, uh, you know, online and through your phone and taking some pictures of some different forms of ID. But take us through what it was like to sign up for something like Just Dice and have the ability to be on the operator or the, the house side um, when it comes to this type of technology and this type of these type of protocols where it's the cost of transaction and it doesn't take hours and days to do these types of things. It's it's much more, it's facilitated much easier. Well, sign up for Just Dice or for, for most Bitcoin gambling sites is just a username and a password. That's it. So it's Some, easier to sign up there than it is Facebook, for instance. That's right. It's, a, it's as easy as signing up for like a, maybe an email account or a Spotify account or something, even, even easier. Um, some sites request an email address, which they do mostly um, to be able to use that as a, as a, for security so you, they can send you uh, login pins and things like that. Uh, but usually that's, uh, that's optional. So it's just a username and password. You're you're completely anonymous, and uh, that's how it should be, really. So one of the obvious 
disadvantages is match fixing when it comes to sports. Do you want to talk a little bit about the possibilities when it comes to Bitcoin and, and match fixing? And I don't know of any public cases as of today. I might be wrong and it may be, you know, something that's happening. But do you want to just talk a little bit about the possibilities when it comes to match fixing and why that may cause issues down the line? Well, you wouldn't know about any cases, would you? Right, because it <laughs> should be anonymous. <laughs> not, not because they haven't happened, uh, but because they, they would be, uh, be private. Um, yeah, so... Bitcoin uh, could be used for match fixing. It, it could be used in the current paradigm of match fixing where you have uh, an athlete that performs uh, in line with the bets and you have a, a fixer that communicates between the athlete and the gamblers. Then you have a group of gamblers which uh, make the bets and you need a group because you would they need to make a lot of bets and they need to spread them out so it doesn't uh, raise any suspicion. And you probably need a money launderer and you're gonna, these people are going to have to send money between each other, uh, most obviously to, to pay the player, for example, or to put the bets on. So um, Bitcoin can really uh, make those kind of operations easier uh, by using Bitcoin transactions. But it's, much, it's a much bigger difference than that is that uh, Bitcoin would allow the whole operation to be done just by one single athlete. Uh, one single athlete could could just make all the bets himself, perform in line with the bets, and then take all the money. Uh, so he wouldn't actually need that, that group of people anymore. Now, I should say um, Bitcoin makes everything easier. So uh, Bitcoin makes uh, shopping online easier. Bitcoin makes buying drugs easier. Bitcoin makes donating to charity easier. So match fixing is just another thing that Bitcoin uh, makes easier. Um, but it is something that people find very concerning. So because uh, when I mentioned the current kind of model of, of match fixes where you have that whole syndicate, the whole group of people, that's generally how law enforcement can, can detect the match fixing. Either someone in that group uh, talks to the wrong person or uh, you, the law enforcement would, would infiltrate that group with an inside man or something. Or, you know, there's those famous gra grainy conversations between the fixer and the, and, the and the reporter, you know, and Bitcoin would allow it to all be done just by the athlete. It would be really undetectable. So all the athlete has to do is maybe uh, get a VPN, make uh, 10, 10 different accounts at 10 different Bitcoin sportsbooks, uh, bet on the bet, make a bet on an outcome which they can influence, then influence that outcome, and then withdraw all the money. So there's nowhere for law enforcement to actually uh, get into that process. Right. <laughs> uh, it's, or they can they can try to track the athletes. Uh, they would have to track all athletes' um, online activity, which is uh, pretty much scuttled by just using a VPN. And then they would have to track the uh, the performance on the field and then they'll have to track the spending but again the spending would be in bitcoin so but even even with those advantages um i'm sure we, we will see someone get get busted for for bitcoin match fixing um because somebody will just not be careful enough or somebody will, will brag about it or somebody will just be too obvious in in influencing the outcome of a bet so yeah the cases will come to light and then there'll be some kind of phony 
moralistic outcry from politicians and think about the children and we must ban Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but we're going to have a lot of that <laughs> in the next in the next uh, few years. So that might just be another another case of that. Yeah, absolutely. Bitcoin certainly doesn't discriminate. So have you seen any uh, government regulation or government controls put in place? Obviously, some people might be you know pulling their hair out and saying, well, clearly there's going to be tax avoidance and things like that where why is it fair that someone just because they're using Bitcoin can avoid tax in certain situations? Has there been anything that you've seen or you've noticed in the past sort of 12, 18, 24 months around, uh, around Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to try and clamp down on these type of things? Yeah, certainly. And uh, governments are getting very involved and looking very closely at the meeting points between Bitcoin and government currency. So when people say when people buy and sell Bitcoin for a government currency, when they get into Bitcoin or they get out of Bitcoin, um, that's the area where where uh, law enforcement and government can can really scrutinise, and because they you know, have access to to all that all your private financial data in those types of uh, transactions. So that's what um, governments focusing on regulating, um, you know, the exchanges. And in some cases, uh, the wallets, where there's wallets where you can buy and sell inside the wallet. Uh, so governments are, you know, are doing that. And it, look, it's a, it's a constant, I guess, cat and mouse game. It always has been between uh, tax authorities and people who don't want to pay tax. They've always, people who don't want to pay tax have always been looking for methods or advantages, uh, you know, since, since forever. So this is, I guess, just another evolution in that in that dynamic certainly so so what do you think the i guess the future of the bitcoin especially related to sports betting i guess and some of the horse racing or or other sports related stuff is going to look like in the future especially if we're talking about such low edges and and perhaps companies want to make money off i guess other means and another typical means when you talk about the facebook's and the google's of the world and the land grabs that we we spoke about and and trying to get some advertising-related revenues or things like that. How is it that, because that's certainly not part of the traditional model for, I guess, operators and, and paying gambling taxes and paying you know product fees to sports in Australia and things like that. How what what sort of place do you think it might have, or do you think it's just going to be it's going to be a tough, I guess, teething period and, and to try and get some of the sports on board because there's other ancillary benefits when there is a lot of gambling on on sports with low edges and, and more people actively engaged and trying to sell that rather than, well, you know, you're going to get a certain percentage of our gross profit on gambling. Well, if there's a house edge of, you know, less than 2%, that gross profit on gambling is not necessarily going to be there. So do you have any sort of predictions or have you seen any sort of movement in the industry that would, I guess, suggest how it might head in that direction? Well, the future is very bright for the gambler and because Bitcoin has, and be, even being a Bitcoin gambling operator, has uh, such low barriers to entry. It just allows for competition. So gamblers are going to have uh, much more options and much more freedom. And it's going to allow for, for more competition, which will make for, for better outcomes. You mentioned, you know, uh, will the sports get on board? Well, Bitcoin gamblers don't really care if the sports if the sports organization is on is on board or not and you know will, will the government be be happy about this when they can't take their pound of flesh well i don't really care <laughs> i just i just want, as a as a gambler you know i just want the best 
the best gambling product for me, which a big part of that is, um, is you know, ease of use and a low house edge. And, and Bitcoin's going to uh, provide that, which will then, uh, you know, a government currency site or government currency gambling site will have to respond to that and up their game. So, you know, competition's uh, going to be uh, better for everyone. Yeah, no, I certainly agree. I just wonder how the, if you want to be based in Australia and you want to offer sports betting and you want to have a, a low edge and you want to go down a different path with uh, business model wise, it might be a difficult beginning to try and get that, I guess, adoption and get that understanding of exactly what's going on. And I think, you know, convincing the non-believers in the beginning might be a little bit tough. And I think it's starting to happen a little bit with, you know, in general when it comes to, you know, different types of fiat currencies. But I wonder if the, uh, the renowned sort of gambling uh, regulators and, and bodies who have been slow to move in many aspects will be any quicker to move, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, in some sense we've already seen that they, they are slow to move and that they still haven't got their head around um, Bitcoin gambling and what, what it means for their, um, for their kind of paradigm. Um, and, I mean, yeah, there might be the, the average Joe who, who believes that... Um, Gambling operators should uh, contribute to the to the governing bodies of the sport, and gambling operators should pay extra taxes. But when when average Joe's at home in his living room and he's got a chance to um, bet on Arsenal at odds of two ten with Bitcoin or at odds of two with a government currency book, he's probably going to want to make that bet on at two ten. Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll see depending how, depending on you know, him as an individual. But uh, I think Bitcoin will offer a, a better product, so it will inevitably uh, keep growing its its market share. So I hear that you uh, don't mind watching a gambling movie now and then. And I, I have asked in the past some other guests about some of their favorites. Um, I have a few, Two for the Money. Uh, there's a couple of awful ones as well. I think someone mentioned Rounders. Take me through some of your gambling movies and I guess some of the favorite ones that you've seen. <laughs> well, I've, I've just lost all respect for you given that you, you liked Two for the Money. That was a shocking movie. <laughs> <laughs> See what I mean? People hate I've got some shockers as well, but that's one of the ones that somehow resonated. There's Owning Mahoney's a good one. I don't mind that. Uh, there's a few yeah. out there. Owning Mahoney is, is a good movie. That, uh, well done. You, you've salvaged. 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 <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, even in, in Two for the Money, um, Al Pacino is very good. The movie is bad, but Al Pacino is very good. That's kind of saves it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have a, a post on my website called uh, Sports Betting Movies where I've got a list of basically every sports betting movie you can possibly watch. All the movies on the list, they have um, a, a good torrent available so people can watch them. And on the site there, I put a, a, a YouTube video of the of the of that movie's preview. So I kind of uh, separate them into two groups. There's a, movies that really are just about sports betting, where that's like the whole point of the movie. It's a sports betting movie. And there's really only one good one. It's called Bookies. It was like kind of a, the typical story of like college roommates start a bookmaker and then it gets uh, spirals out of control and they end up talking with the mobsters. And it's a, it's a classic old uh, corny story, but Bookies is, is a good movie. And that's the only good movie which is really just about sports betting. Then you have a lot of movies which are where sports betting is part of the story or sports betting is, is part of the plot. And there's a lot of good movies uh, in, in that uh, category that would be uh, The Gambler, 
which is an old uh, James Kahn film. Uh, very interesting. Shows shows the problem gambling dynamic um, that uh, people don't always understand, which is that a lot of problem gamblers they actually want to lose because they're usually because they're punishing themselves out of guilt. Well, something like that. The gambler has a brilliant brilliant depiction of that by by James Kahn. Um, Eight Men Out is the famous story of uh, the Black Sox, the the Chicago baseball team that threw the World Series back in 1919. That was the that was since we were speaking about match fixing. That was maybe the first really big match fixing scandal. There's a good uh, film about that. And Owning Mahoney, as you mentioned, I really like that movie. Um, yeah, and then there's a, there's a few more. They get kind of uh, worse after that. White men can't jump <laughs> gambling on the street. Uh, yeah, people should should, should check out uh, Bit Edge sports betting movies to to get the full list. Absolutely, I haven't seen Bookies actually. I'm gonna have to check that one out. I've seen a lot of the ones you mentioned, but uh, I've, for some reason I haven't seen Bookies. So I'll have to uh, I'll have to have a look and get back to you on that one. Hopefully, uh, hopefully your acumen when it comes to the gambling movies is much better than mine. If if you don't like two for the money, maybe I won't like Bookies. But let's see what happens. So, James, I'm cognizant of your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show and chatting about Bitcoin. And no doubt as things evolve and we see more traction in the marketplace and, you know, some more Bitcoin exchanges popping up and some more sports books, you know, around the world, um, we'll definitely have to have you back on to sort of catch up on on what's happening. And it seems as though, given the movement in the last couple of years um, for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, I have no doubt things will continue to accelerate and uh, having you chat about it has been fascinating for me learn a, a lot about what's happening out there and um, hopefully the listeners enjoyed chatting so thank you very much for your time and uh, i look forward to chatting again soon yeah great thanks jake just uh want to let people know uh, all the topics that we've discussed um i've covered them on on my website on BitEdge, uh probably much more coherently in writing than what i've <laughs> what i've answered here in, in audio so check out um bitedge.com uh, like we've got uh, posts about uh, just ice and zero percent house edge gambling we've got uh, posts about house investment posts about uh, bitcoin match fixing posts about sports betting movies everything we've discussed actually uh, uh, they can find out more on, on bitedge.com awesome thank you very much james and uh, we'll talk to you soon